We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Aikman is intercepted by Sam Mills. Steve Smith is going to go all the way. Panthers win in overtime. Newton steps up, close to the end zone. Olsen, touchdown! Welcome back to another episode of The Roar, brought to you by Blue Wire. I'm your host, Billy Marshall. As always, to join me to recap a Panthers game, joined by my co-host, John Ellis. John, what's up, man? Billy, what's up? Uh, A Panthers game, a Panthers win. Uh, Three out of four, baby. So let's go. Let's talk Panthers. I'm I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I want to thank Sam Samuel Gold for taking time on Sunday evening to join me for an instant reaction pod. Um, Glad you and I can do our regular show now and kind of break down the specifics of this game and something to look forward to in the future. Um, Before we get started in a breakdown, I just want to mention one thing, and this is just going to be the approach I take moving forward until the end of the year. I am not going to mention the previous head coach of this football team in this space again until the end of the year. I'm I after we finished recording, there was all sorts of media appearances, radio appearances, whatever. I'm not mentioning it. I'm not talking about it. John, you are more than welcome to. This is <laughs> your podcast just like mine. But for me, I am taking the position that I am not going to mention him, I'm not going to mention anything he said in any interviews. This football team deserves our attention. Yep. They're playing good football. I'm not looking forward in the past. I'm looking forward to the future. And that's just where I'll leave it. And then I'll be happy to break down this game whenever, um, whenever. I'm with you. I'm uh, what what needed to be said was said. We're all moving forward. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, well, well said, Billy. Let's uh, windshield mentality, as Coach Sweeney says down here in Clemson. So let's do it. Okay, this game it, it was set up pretty well for Carolina in a couple aspects, and uh, the first one was the fact that they were coming off a bye week, and this was a good opportunity for them to travel out west. You know, you had the extra week, so you could get yourself prepared. You don't have to kind of play on a Sunday, then turn around a quick trip to the west coast. 
Uh, you know, Seattle has been in some respects a house of horrors for Carolina too. We we can't lose sight of that. Yeah. Um, and I know 2015 that regular season win was thrilling, but uh, there were a lot of other house of horror moments for this franchise <laughs> in that stadium. Uh, but for me, what gave me optimism is a couple of things. The first thing is that Seattle's run defense has been very poor all year. Uh, Josh Jacobs a couple of weeks prior ran for like 300 total yards. Yeah. And yeah. Yes, Carolina does not have a Josh Jacobs type talent at running back, um, but given how well they're playing, you know, in, in the sense of ball control football, I thought that they could really just the, the complementary football is what it is. You have to uh, keep that explosive Seattle offense off the field, and they accomplished that. The first drive, yeah, it wasn't they didn't score a touchdown, but it was thirteen plays and it took up half the quarter. I texted you right after that drive. I was like. That was really impressive because yeah. they really set the tone. And I know people have issues with Mark Schlereth. I personally like him. I don't care. Like, you know, people have their opinions. He he was really making it a point that he heard from the coaches, McAdoo and some of the offensive guys he spoke to, that they want to really establish a tone offensively and, you know, push line of scrimmage. And Schlereth, they former offensive lineman he loved it i mean your boy cade Mays was getting snaps and he was pointing him out Ooh, on the boy. screen oh so, yes uh i mean we got something called an arby's package now <laughs> i mean it's love it, it <laughs> this was some <Yes. laughs> i mean john you're talking about some paul johnson type football <laughs> paul johnson again this is the the second paul johnson reference in the past five weeks on the roar podcast and i love it no but no uh, you get my point that this yeah. was a physical game and they bullied seattle from the first snap until the last they they did billy and this this is what this team has to do you know i i was talking with a former scout around the nfc south here who is sort of familiar with carolina's operation as well as that of seattle's i mean he's been around the league for a long time we both know this guy and and we, we talked about some of the dynamics leading up to this game and sort of what carolina has to do with sam darnold and quarterback and it really is just the the there, there's one way forward, and it didn't necessarily go their way against Baltimore, but you know that's another quarterback that was in that game. But with respect to Sam, we got to see it. You know, I got to see it up close and personal against Denver, another pretty damn good defense. I'd say better than Seattle's overall. And, and the formula was very simple. It's look, it's it's going to have to be trench warfare, uh, old school John Fox power personnel XT. XXT, you know, to the point where you got the Arby's package now, where you have, uh, let me get this straight, Michael Jordan, Cam Irving, and Cade Mays in the game at the same time. Although that particular play didn't yield a lot of yards, it set some tempo. It was like, all right, you know what? Now Seattle and, and Pete Carroll and, and, and company out there have got to pay attention to a heavy box um, situation in terms of loading up the box. And it's not always about, and I think you've mentioned something to this degree before, but you know, if, if not, I'll say it. It's, it's not just about running 35, 40 times to set up play action or running to bleed the clock. It's about running to establish a little bit of physicality. It's about you know putting people on their heels, wearing them down, and the ability for them to run a three-back system in this now where you're getting contributions from Hubbard and I think he's looking as good as he's looked since his rookie season. I, I really do think he's peaking right now. And, and Blackshear, who's been a, just a nice addition. I know he had the muff punt against Denver. Foreman is the tempo setter, obviously, but it really starts up front with the offensive line. That's the story of the season right now for the Panthers on offense is 
hey, we're going to line you up. We're going to install a few new wrinkles there. Nothing exotic, but but it's it's going to be just absolute bully ball. And and the idea here is to get yards, to maintain a certain amount of game control there, to keep your defense fresh, which they looked the part on that side. Now, there's some defensive things we're going to get to later that I'm sure Coach Wilkes was not happy about late in that game. But overall, offensively, yeah, it was great to see right from the you know from the opening bell. Even that first drive, I mean, look, it looked like it was going to stall. There were some things that were looking good early on, and they continue to maintain, and they got just enough out of the passing game. And so the formula really is, and it's, again, formula is kind of a, a word we don't want to use too stridently here, but it really is about maximizing the rush attempts that you have. If that's going well, keep that rolling. And you limit Darnold to maybe 18, 20, 22 pass attempts. If we ever get in a situation where it's it's up to him to carry the team, then we'll know it's going to look a little different. We obviously get that. But right now against Seattle, you called it. I mean, their run defense, and this is where you look at trends too, and this is a precursor to Pittsburgh too because there's some excitement about, oh, Pittsburgh's run defense. Well, you got to look at the trends there, and we'll get to that later. But over the past few weeks, yeah, I mean, Seattle's run defense and their EPA overall in terms of defense in general has been trending down. Now, I know they've had some injuries and whatnot, but they're just not as hard up in the paint as they once were. So you mentioned that Raiders game. I kept looking back to that. 293 yards in the air, 283 on the ground. That was back on the 27th of November. They yes, come right back. Yeah. They come right back against the Rams. And the Rams carve you up in unconventional ways in the running game, but still they get 171 on the ground. And now this is the third time the Seattle's defense has given up 220 plus yards rushing on the season. They gave up 235 to the Saints. I kept looking at that Saints tape and saying, my goodness, you can push these guys. You can have your way. So there were some formulas there to be copied and to be emulated. And hats off to McAdoo. Look, we've been hard on him, but look, you you make the easy look easy, as as Bob Sala has talked about up there in, in New York, and that's what they did here. It was a good matchup. They didn't overthink it. And uh, the one thing, I, I'm not going to mention the former head coach's name or even his track record here, but what the current head coach does, I think, is he just sticks with the plan. He's consistent. He doesn't waver, good or bad. It's going to be is what it is. It, it, the, look, the, the game they had against Cincinnati got away from them. The game they had against Baltimore was in windy conditions, and that was a slugfest for three and a half quarters. Very much a game at that point, and the turnovers got them. They're playing better in terms of protecting the ball, controlling the clock, and keeping their defense fresh. It was a it was a delightful win. And as you said, you texted me <laughs> in the first 20 minutes of that game. You were like, I didn't expect this. I expected a win, but not quite like this. Um, and they were often running from them. I know, you know, Seattle made their comeback there, but uh, it, it was pretty much in hand at that point because they knew they could control the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they certainly showed it, and I think that with this, I don't know if this is like the long term approach they want to um, kind of install. And the reason I say that is because it seems like they're playing to their players' strengths. Like so many like coaches say that, but none of them actually do it. Um, but right. I think for this team, the way you play to your players' strengths is um, you limit the amount of dropbacks you have to. Uh, you know, do under center because you don't want to expose a quarterback. And we'll get to the quarterback's performance in a second. 
Um, but you know, mostly I just thought that this was a game where you, this team, it needs to play in front for them to kind of follow this formula. Totally. When they get behind, uh, I think you're going to see issues and uh, we'll see what happens the next uh, four weeks as far as like, you know, how they're able to deal um, with, you know, potentially having to go behind against an opponent. But to me, I think the best formula for them is, you know, continuing this approach um, and you know, rely on your defense in some areas to make key takeaways, which is what they did. Um, and we'll get to the defensive performance too. But um, overall, pretty encouraging. They, you know, had to go in there and just really, you know, bully Seattle at the line of scrimmage, and they accomplished that on offense. Now, the quarterback's performance, I, I saw some concerning elements that, um, he obviously made some plays. I'm not going to take anything away from him, uh, but I also saw him revert to the same guy that. Um, you know, people criticize him for his internal clock at times was very slow to react uh, to pressure. And a lot of people are going to say, oh, Equanu lost this rep or Moten lost that rep. Yeah, Moten did get beat once against Darrell Taylor. Uh, but if you actually watch that, Darrell did have time to check into a hot and he didn't. Um, so overall, it was a pretty mixed performance. I know his scramble on that third down was very huge. Uh, but to me, I, I still don't necessarily know if he's changed at all. I think they're very much simplifying the scheme and the game around him. Uh, you know, it's a lot of play action, one or two reads, and then throw it away. Uh, it, you know, a lot of play action boot concepts. Um, so they're making things very easy for him. He isn't having to drop five, seven step drops and scan the full fields and deliver balls with anticipation and accuracy. At least he didn't do it in this game. Right, so right. we'll see if, I mean, that's going to happen eventually. I, I don't, you're going to, within these next four games, we will learn, you know, the real, if he's actually a change quarterback. But in this game, I think that, you know, the way they were able to run the ball, it really limited what he was asked to do. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people, you know, got upset at McAdoo and the coaches for calling those four plays inside the five yard line. Uh, but one of them, Donald admitted in his press conference that he, it was a run pass option. Yeah. And yeah. he decided to pull it out. Yeah. Uh, another one, I believe he said he checked into. So that's two plays, two run plays that they did have called, but the quarterback uh, one on an option that he decided to keep, or excuse me. Yeah. He decided to keep and throw and another that he checked out of and on the second down call that was a good call dj moore was open he didn't throw uh, the timing was just a bit off between him and moore so and you know the third down call uh tremble had it in his hands but that was a really good play by the safety to knock it away um so i, I know a lot of people like to do the hindsight thing but i think that uh, you know in those situations how he performs in a red zone is going to be pretty key yeah, no doubt. I mean, look, th those are things that are out of the coordinator's hands. And, you know, at the time, you know, my reaction was was probably short-sighted in that, you know, hey, you know, four consecutive plays and the ball is in the air four consecutive times. Maybe that's not the best way forward, considering how much success you've had in that area of the red zone uh, with the run game just punching it in. But, you know, you look back at the tape and then you look back at what – 
the coach had said, and you look back at what the quarterback has now said, that those were largely, at least half of them, were RPOs. And you got to put the ball on them in that point. And, and that's that's tough, but, but what's more impressive is, is you weather that storm. I mean, you go through situations. I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, you, you go into that environment against a damn good football team, not an elite team, but a damn good team. One of the, I, I'd say, probably a team that uh, since 2020 you, you haven't beaten a team that good on the road in that environment so to be able to go down there all the way down to the you know four or five yard line to stay aggressive to not get it and then to still weather that storm and not let that derail the whole game for you was impressive and there were times with the defense once again they've been putting uh, you know short change shorts turnaround type of situations and they've answered the bell so yeah it's complimentary football but, you know, Darnold's well-insulated right now. We, we know what this is about, Billy. I think we talked about this all the way back on the Rams podcast, Wilkes' first game, where there is a certain element of we're just trying to get to triple zeros in the fourth quarter. And I'm not saying that's a weak way to play football. In fact, I commend it because it's, it's refreshing to see the coach stay dedicated to what is strong, keep your strength strong, play to that, and don't color outside the lines. And quit experimenting and quit doing things that are crazy. And, uh, you know, just play NFL football with your NFL players and, and measure them up based on what they're good at. They, they've got a very good run-blocking offensive line. Very good. Very effective. And they're adding two extra guys at a time, sometimes three, to, to the, the Arby's package, which I just love, by the way. We can have some fun with that for the next few weeks. But that's, that's how you go into Seattle and you win. That's the way this team does it. Now, it's not one size fits all. How, how do how do the Chargers do it? Well, you know, obviously they've got a quarterback with a much higher degree of acumen and receivers on the perimeter when they're healthy. Uh, the same the same could be said for like you know a team, let's say Detroit right now that's got great offensive line play and they've got weapons all around that they can you know get that you know get that ball out and, and have some vertical fun. That's not the formula for Carolina now. If it gets to a point where, and Ron Rivera said one thing that I'll never forget, he says, you know, we want to run when we need to run, pass when we need to pass, and we want to try to win in multiple ways. And this team is not there yet. And that's very fair to say. But you look around the division, no one's really there. No one's really there right now. I mean, the Tampa's crap right now on offense. And defensively, it's not much better. Atlanta, I don't know what's going on down there with Mariota, and now they're starting the rookie. And, and New Orleans is a coaching disaster in situational football. So, yeah, I'd say Steve Wilkes right now is is probably doing about the best coaching job in that division that that, that you could imagine. Now, yeah, I, I was high on Arthur Smith early on, but they've lost four of five. Wilkes has won three of four. And what's refreshing again, and this is sort of a macro view too, I was talking about this with, you know, like my sons who they, they were young kids back when this team was playoff relevant. And you know, I don't, I don't want to overcook the playoff word here. I know it's a bad division, but they are right now playing in playoff environment games that mean something, and that's nothing they've felt. This team has felt over the past few years, dating back to 2018 when they were on a collapse. They were still playoff sort of in the mix, but we knew it wasn't going to happen. So you have to go all the way back to 2017, really, and and get a sense of when this team was this competitive in terms of okay. It is what it is. I mean, we've got a losing record. It's 5-8, and eight, but the records are right now where they are in the NFC South, and these games mean something 
it's a hugely impressive win to go across country in that environment and stem the tides they did. And uh, when we get to defense, well, we got some some guys to mention, including that cornerback who who is just amazing. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think with the offense, you know, the pass pro was largely fine. I didn't have an issue with it. But again, it's so tough to tell. And, and you mentioned this way back when, when Iquanu was, you know, producing those really good grades on PFF is like, how can you really judge him? Or you have to be just careful about judging his play because they're not really dropping back. Correct. Their traditional pass sets. And I don't think you saw that on Sunday either. No, you can't. I mean, look, the, the sample size is so small. Uh, I mean, a lot of what they ran, I mean, gosh, that final drive, I mean, how, how much, and I know they were in a run-first situation there. I think it was seven runs, one pass on that final touchdown drive. But they got away from sort of the uh, the single back, you know, 22 under center personnel stuff, and they went they went gun, but they went orbit motion on almost every snap with LaVisca Chenault. And I like that because it gives you the the run pass bubble option there, where you you you've got several things you can read out there, and and Chenault has been for the limited touches he gets. I mean, you know that move got a lot of laughs, but I think we understood what his role was in this offense, and I'm glad he's here. I really am. I mean, he he is a bowling ball in the open field. He's an extension of the run game, so he adds an extra element of physicality to what you're doing there. But yeah, it's hard to grade the pass protection stuff. I mean, look, I don't think Moten had his best game. But once again, you know, it's a Pete Carroll defense. They do some things up front that can get after you. And, you know, Bruce Irving, remember that old fogey who was here in 2019? He's still getting it done. Um, They'll face bigger tests. I mean, look, (laughs) this week's a good example with the Steelers. But uh, I thought it was fine. You know, I, I thought Corbett, I thought the interior part of the line with Corbin and Bozeman, they've done a really good job in terms of, and, and Christensen too, of just really solidifying the pass protection. That was the problem last year, Billy. It wasn't the ability to, for the tackles. I mean, for the most part, the tackles, even the left tackle, it wasn't their biggest issue. It was the inside. It was just getting schemed up and all these twists and stunts and, and ET games they were running on the other side. And that Miami game was a prime example. They had no chance. They were dead before they got off the bus. So, Corbett, Corbett, I think, has been one of the steals of free agency because he had. And this is a guy I, I really looked at on tape a lot and really thought highly of because he had so many snaps in McVay's offense for two or three years, and he was a constant. He was always healthy, and this is what continuity looks like. I mean, if, if they're not great at this point, they're certainly as good as we've seen here in a long time, and continuity really is a big part. And now you get to take guys like Cade Mays. And even Irving, who we we said was not up to snuff to be a full-time left tackle, but now he's a reserve. He's the Taylor Moten of 2017, Billy, and that's a perfect role for him in this offense. Yeah, for sure. Um, Yeah, I I just really love the Cade May stuff. I mean, you could just see his energy on the sideline, too. He just looked like... You know, he was enjoying every second of it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I hope they give him, you know, some more opportunities, uh, you know, in, in that package because, I mean, they don't really have like a fullback. So, no, it's a good solution. I mean, this is what I, I love about what they're doing here. They're just, um, they're, they're finding solutions, Billy. I mean, this is what you do when you have a team with limitations, a roster with limitations. I, I, I knew the Seattle matchup was good, kind of like you. I, I saw an avenue here. We talked about it on, on my pregame show for, iHeartRadio for the network, but 
Um, I, I didn't see that early of a tempo being set. I certainly didn't see a 17 nothing lead. Uh, that's pretty rare in Seattle, especially this year, to go up that much that soon. Um, and it was you know a lot of things that led to that. And then they held on because they were able to, once again, throughout the game, control the tempo, win the field position battle, control the line of scrimmage. Although the special teams, I, I think, We'll get to this later. They had a yeah, few bad moments. A very rough game. They had, a, they had a few bad moments in coverage, definitely. Yeah, Tabor's unit did not have their best game, nope. but um, but, know, they over, but they overcame it, and that you know, look—that's a good sign, I think. You know, you, you're, one of your strengths is a down a little bit, and and even the defense late had a few flubs, but you still overcame it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, that was our first really bad game, so I don't want to uh, suggest it's like a trend or anything. You, you know, you just. It happens. You move on from it, and you can correct it during a win over you know correcting it during a loss. So um, no worries on you know with their special teams. Hopefully they can get that corrected. Um, you know the final thing I want to say offensively, uh, just about the running backs. You're still seeing them struggle in pass protection. Uh, Foreman missed a couple blocks. Uh, you know for as good as he is as a runner between the tackles, he's still really struggling. Not only just to diagnose, you know, where the blocks are, where he should be blocking, but he also just really struggles to engage with defenders. So, you know, I hope, you know, that's going to be something to look forward to in the future and just to see if they can figure out, you know, how to add an extra layer of protection back there because, um, you know, the three-headed monster of Blackshear, Foreman, and Hubbard, uh, you know, they're proving to you that, as long as you have a good scheme and a good offensive line, you don't necessarily need to invest, you know, a crazy amount of money in the running back position. Um, no, I so, agree. So hopefully people understand this moving forward. And, and whenever, you know, I mention it or you mention it or anyone else within the, you know, um, Twitter sphere, uh, we're all just looking at ways to improve the roster and the efficiency of uh, what they're getting for, you know, their money and, Foreman hopefully uh, will return next year because I know he's on a one-year deal, but uh, they really need to look at you know how they can improve the pass protection from the running backs. Um, okay, moving to the defense now. Um, I thought this was a sound performance defensively, and a couple of things that they did that really just confused Seattle is uh, within this system that Shane Waldron runs. It's you know a lot of the similar concepts with McVeigh. They try to set up the run to, you know, get the play action game going and they have a ton of really talented uh skill players. Uh, I know Kenneth Walker was a big loss for them and the ability of Carolina to just shut down their run game, um, it, it really benefited them. Uh Travis Homer did not have a particularly good game. There was talk about Tony Jones or backup running back potentially playing and he didn't play. Um, but I thought Seattle really struggled to run block. Uh, pass protection wise, I thought they were really good. Carolina's pass rush did not have a good game. They're quiet uh, for the most part. I, I thought that uh, it was you know not a good game for them, uh, but they did stop the run. Uh, but one thing that I noticed is that the way Carolina attacked those boot concepts uh, when Gino goes into play action is they really you know they they really attack the edges hard so they would not let Gino kind of roll out to his right or his left yep uh, and it really just forced Gino to just throw the ball away or look for like one of the checkdowns um 
you know, I know they had that one drive uh, where they were attacking the middle of the field on those over routes to lock it, and they did a really good job of that. Uh, a couple of the linebackers didn't get enough enough depth in their uh, zone drops, and Tyler Lockett was able to kind of get free right behind, and uh, it was a similar concept in the red zone. Um, you know, Lockett made a really nice catch uh, with his tiptoes, and uh, but for the most part, I don't think DK Metcalf had a particularly strong game, and I think you can credit the um, you know, play of J.C. Horn and C.J. Henderson. Uh, the safeties had a pretty decent game. Uh, on the first interception, it just looked like, uh, you know, J.C. did a pretty good job of, you know, jump looking, jumped in underneath route, but then transitioning back. But the throw was really poor by Gino. I, I thought he threw it late, and he threw he underthrew it as well. Yeah. You know, as soon as it, it was like a half rollout, yeah. Uh, if he actually like threw that on time and over J.C., it probably had a chance. But I think. Um, you know, the call itself was a little interesting to me, uh, but I thought JC did a really nice job of, again, uh, you know, ins- I wouldn't say he baited him, but he did a really good job of just, uh, you know, transitioning from the underneath route back to the high route. And then, uh, you know, the second interception by Henderson, I I did think it was offsides. I, I, I do yeah, understand the frustration. I agree that Seattle fans have. Um, I didn't think the officials were particularly great in this game. And there was a, uh, if you remember that third and 10 that Seattle had after Carolina turned it over on downs, there was a couple of Seattle offensive linemen that were uh, getting into their jump sets before Gino had the ball. So I thought the officials on both sides, uh, they didn't have a really good game, but yeah, that one, I understood the concern um, or at least what Gino was thinking there. Uh, he thought he had a free play. I thought he had a free play. It looked like that on tape and it yep. looked like that watching live. Um, but the officials missed it, and CJ uh, came down with the interception. But, um, but I think the biggest thing for me watching the defense in this game, and you know, the final drive aside, it's whatever. That was some of the worst uh, effort I've seen from a defense. But again, yeah, I, I, Wilkes is gonna. I mean, he's already giving him a good ass chewing on that one. That was unacceptable, and they they know I mean, that, he looked sure. pissed at the end of the, that drive. Oh god, and I love it because I mean, I'm sure. This is what we talk about when you win and then something like that happens. It's kind of a good thing because you don't want that happening in a key situation that costs you. You don't want it to ever happen, but they were just... Yeah, Seattle recovered that onside kick. Who guys knows? were jogging back and, you know, people were the offside. It's just, you, you just don't want to see that. You want to close with authority, man, but it, it happened and I'm sure they've cleaned it up. Yeah, but... um Overall, I thought it was a pretty strong game by the linebacking core. Uh, you know, Brandon Smith made some plays. Unfortunately, he looks like he's in a walking boot, so he could be missing this week. Um, I thought that this performance from Brandon Smith warranted him getting more snaps. Um, so we'll see what his injury status is moving forward. Shaq Thompson returning to Seattle, uh, where he played college ball. He had a good game, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I, I just thought that they did a really good job of, you know, really eliminating the middle of the field um, after that first touchdown drive. Uh, and, you know, a lot of the throws that Gino likes to make, which are those far out hash throws uh, that required timing and anticipation, um, they did a pretty good job of, you know, really just getting into his passing lane and vision and, and affecting his accuracy. So, yeah, it was a. Uh, you know, an uncharacteristically, you know, rough game for Geno Smith, but I think the Carolina defense schematically did some things to really make it difficult for him. No doubt. I mean, I think, you know, chief among them, where, you know, you talk about Shaq Thompson coming back. He, he was tremendous, and they got him involved in the pass rushing game as well, and that that's good to see because he's very underrated in that department. He had three pass rush snaps uh, via PFFs 
snap count, which I know there's been a discourse about PFF this week, Billy, if you haven't heard. But <laughs> I will say this, that um, they do a great job of tracking like snap count metrics. I love watching how those pile up. And he had three pass rush snaps in this game, and they were highly effective. He got pressure. He got a sack on one of those. He had two hurries. And LeVu came home, too. I mean, he played at Washington State. So, I mean, this is a guy... Obviously, he was affected by the loss of Mike Leach. We haven't even talked about that, but that, you know, just a terrible situation. And you know, he was uh, singing his praises uh, and, and paying good tribute to his former, uh, you know, guy Mike Leach. But Lavu, I thought, had a very good game as well. Um, you know, Burns, it, it wasn't his finest, but th- I thought there were some moments where he did a good job holding the edge, like the second play for scrimmage. Uh, if you go back and look at the tape. You know, the, the first, first of all, the first play, you know, Gino, I, it's it's tough because it's one thing I like about J.T. O'Sullivan, and this is a guy who's played the game. He's probably one of the best QB play analysts on the planet. Um, he always sort of puts an asterisk beside it. Says, "Look, I'm not in the huddle. I'm not in the meeting room. So just understand that." Yeah, and that's, I love that. Yeah, and that's one thing we try to do too. We try to do that always. We don't come on here and you know just say, "Oh, we screwed that up," and you know, f him and cut him. But you know, that Gino on that on that sprint protection you know that left side roll there you know Lockett's making his break and, and you're right about Gino it was it was kind of a late hitch and late release and it gave Horn enough time to to reroute back into that and then great on him to do that Brandon Smith by the way was in there on the first snap so he was in the starting lineup and I agree with you he had a very good game that sucks he's in a walking boot now but like you go back to the, the very next play for Seattle after that turnover they get a fresh set of downs and they go you know sort of a jet sweep situation with uh, Goodwin and Burns right away and LeVu both are just they just hold the edge Burns is working the tight end LeVu is is free and clear and there's you know CJ Henderson right there on the edge as well so I thought you know on a number of fronts you know the the stats can be deceiving the grades can be deceiving but you know you you want to see a little more from 53 I know he wants more he wants to get three or four sacks in a game and, and become the next level guy he's also playing hurt too he's got a knee issue uh, the, the second play, I'm, I'm going back in the tape and looking again. You know, JC's playing off coverage here. He's, you know, 12 yards off of Metcalf, but he closes in on these things, and he's just an aggressor. He's just a great player to watch. Billy, our, our good buddy Matt Bowen was texting me last night. And I think he's going to try to join us here sometime after the holiday. And, oh, I love uh, it. He, he, he posed a question. Let me read you the text. I'm sure he won't mind this um, because he, he went back and looked at that film. And he was asking me, as if I'm the expert, I mean, we ask you, Matt Bowen, former NFL DB, but he wrote, uh, when healthy, is the Panthers secondary one of the top units in the league? I think they are close. And uh, he had a lot of high praises. To, oh, top to 10, I would say so, 100%. Yeah. I, I thought, you know, there were some good moments from Chin as well. I mean, he he's... Looking, yeah, he made that nice pass breakup. You yeah, saw that? First, the second series of the game, right there down the boundary on, I believe that was Noah Fant. Um, uh, yeah, it was. So, yeah, but I, I think that's the thing. Like he, that first drive, him and a lot of the secondary, or excuse me, the touchdown drive by Seattle, the um, the first touchdown that they scored. He, I thought he struggled on that drive. They were exposing, yep. uh, not necessarily exposing him, but they were targeting that middle of the field, and he was kind of uh, a little late to react. But I thought he did a pretty good job of adjusting. Yeah, and then you know, you Turgos Matos too. I mean, you're like, I haven't seen his PFF grade. I don't really care at this point. I'm just looking at some of the early tape from the game, and, and you know, he slices through the B gap, discards Abe Lucas, and just comes in. You know, Homer, I guess, is the running back has a bit of a hole there, 
and he just makes a great athletic play on the back. And his his run defense, I think, has been quite underrated this year. I mean, you know, he's had his ups and downs, but it, it was good to see. And, you know, the secondary look, they're, they're still not at full strength. There was no Xavier Woods. Um, there was a moment in that game where Keith Taylor, he had a tough interception on that post that he almost brought in, but at least he's he's playing the ball and as that he should be stuff... played. Go ahead, sorry. No, I'm just I, you know that, I, I'm not going to discredit him. No minus grade for dropping that interception. I just like the fact that 28 is playing three five yards behind Metcalf on what could have been a ca- catastrophic touchdown throw from Smith to, to Metcalf. They had Hartsfield underneath. They had Taylor deep, and and once again just. Good execution in line. Because I, I think it's so important the first 10 minutes of that game for Carolina to have withstood what Seattle could do offensively. They pushed the ball near midfield, but once again, guys like you know Shaq and, and some of the veterans just, just stymied them. And, and that was really important, I think, Billy, to the flow of this game because it kept Carolina in their flow. If, if, you get, if you give them seven right after the 10-0 lead, the complexion of that game changes, Billy. You know it, and I know it. I just want to say one thing. I don't know the coverage calls exactly, and I know what you're talking about, but that stuff needs to get sorted out. That's like the second or third time I've seen on tape, and I know you have too, where the safety is either biting on something underneath and it's leaving a corner with outside leverage on a yep. post receiver. Yep. That stuff is going to get exposed, and I'm... Yes, I understand that it might not get exposed this week against an offense with Mitch Trubisky and uh, Deontay Johnson, but it could get exposed against a very explosive Lions offense, and you never know when Tom Brady can turn to Tom Brady either. 38 was middle field, you know, single high, and he's biting. I don't know the coverage. Yeah, I don't know. It happened a lot. He's working to the boundary as, as, as Taylor's got, you know, a couple yards on top of Metcalf. So I, I doubt that's, you know, I doubt that's something that's gone unsaid in the meeting room. But that, again, I'm not there. It's just, I, I know what you're saying. I've seen a few of those, and there were a few that came up later in this game where you're like, come on, man, we got to got to tidy that up or else these games can get away from you a little bit. Yeah, that that's one way a team can just get back in the game very quickly. It's um, by attacking the middle of or excuse me, just converting on a um, explosive play. No doubt. Yeah, but again, encouraging performance by the defense. So, you know, last drive, it is what it is. I'm not going to sit here and you know dissect it. I'm just fortunate that the special teams did recover yeah. the onside kick Definitely. because that could have been very <laughs> catastrophic. After the Broncos game, I, we were sweating in the Ellis house. I was like, geez, my son Andrew yeah. was like, yeah, we saw what happened uh, on that uh, failed recovery. Uh, a few weeks ago, and 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 good for Horn to just jump on that thing, and and it was fitting that Horn was the guy to seal it. I thought that was great. Um, yeah. As we close out here, I kind of want to discuss, um, you know, the coaching that I saw, and you know, a lot of the things I thought went right uh, for, you know, the Panthers on Saturday, or excuse me, Sunday. Um, you know, the first thing is that I was very pleased with Steve Wilkes' aggressiveness. I think the both fourth down decisions were good good calls by him. Yeah. Um we saw this in 2020 when Matt Rule, or excuse me, the previous coach, we saw it in, in 2020 when uh they went to Minnesota and he kicked a field goal when he should have gone for it. 
It was a six-point lead. Kirk Cousins goes down the field and wins the game by one. Yep. It's just a philosophy that you go, you don't, you always try to make it a 10-point game over a six-point game. And it's not even just analytics. It's just common sense. And the Houston Texans did this, or at least they tried the same thing uh, against the Cowboys uh, on Sunday, but they got stopped and Dallas went down 98 yards and scored the game-winning touchdown. But it, it wouldn't have mattered either way, even if they went up by six. Um, and the reason I think that you always want to go, I think there was a lot of analytics uh, studies that said it. And um, just overall, I, I'm pleased with it because it showed an area of growth that I had concerns about with him. And I hope this isn't just a one-off thing. I hope he continues to be aggressive. Uh, I mean, you have to continue to just really play by the numbers and yeah we can pick on the play calls here and there but the first fourth down they gave it to foreman and he gained three yards for a first down you know the last fourth down yeah we can sit here quibble with the play calls i don't have a play sheet you don't have a play sheet and certainly everyone else on the you know doesn't have a play sheet either they probably saw something very favorable and they decided to throw the ball now this isn't me agreeing with it i would have ran the ball personally but you have to understand that you know, we're not in the huddle. We don't know what they've been working on, you know, during practice, you know, practice is close to the media for a certain amount of time. So maybe they felt very comfortable and you have to trust your offense in that situation. And, uh, but I just think overall they were able to kind of regroup and they got the stop. So it didn't bite them, but I think that was an area of growth that I saw from the coaching staff is being aggressive on fourth down. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I I've heard the the Manning brothers talk about this before, and and I, you may have seen this clip, but they've often talked about, you know, as as a as an offensive mind, you'd almost rather be down six than three, because you know, as a quarterback, you know, you, you, it's it's game yeah. on. You got to go down and get that touchdown, and the aggressiveness uh, of the of the matter picks up a little bit. Whereas if you're in that field goal world. You know, as so many coaches think in terms of let's not lose the game, let's just stay within our lane here and get in field goal range, it becomes less of an aggressive venture on that, you know, following drive. So, yeah, there, there's a lot to be said for – it's like, you know, I've talked with my brother about this many times. There, there's so many situations where if, why, why, not, why not go for two to get up nine? Uh, because it, you that that can really have a psychological effect on a team too. I, I know it's not a huge gain, but you get the two possessions. That's a big damn deal. So I agree with you. You get that thing to two possessions. I I appreciate the effort there. Um, but but obviously you know yeah that that's that's growth. And you know once again th- this is a coach that's dealing with a, a limited staff right now. We've seen guys that have left. Obviously, Snow is gone. Terrence Knight and others have, have left uh, to join Matt Rule. And it, it's, I don't want to say it's a bare-bones staff, but he's doing a lot with with not a lot around him. He's, he's leaning on Al Holcomb. Obviously, McAdoo is, is settling in and understanding what Sam's limitations are. And, you know, I, I kind of laughed at the idea of Sam being around here late in the season. But to his credit, he has not made the fatal errors now the processing speed you know from my eyeball it's just you would still... agree though there were a couple times seattle's that rushers nearly they yes 
and there there was one where it was probably roughing and they didn't call it, but they made up for that later. But no, they 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 were close, and Sam has a propensity to put that ball on the ground. Here's what I love though. Uh, there were one, two, three, four, five drives by Carolina that were eight plus plays in this uh, game. Uh, there were two three and outs, and that was it. And there were three drive, four drives with ten plus plays. There were how many? One, two, three, four drives of five and a half minutes or longer. And that's what you got to do: convert. Keep converting first downs in the first half was really vital. Overall, you know, Seattle did pretty well on third downs. They were just around 50%. uh, But to hold that team to 267 net yards, to hold them to 46 rushing against 223 on your side, yeah, you know Pete Carroll's a little jealous about that. I know he's loving Geno (laughs) these days, but that's the kind of games Pete Carroll used to thrive in. And, um, they they just kind of quit on the run. They had to. I mean, they, they Homer had nine carries, Gino had three, and then the other backs had a combined two carries. Whereas Carolina ran the ball forty six times, and it was four point eight a pop. Blackshear impressed me, Billy, down the stretch. I mean, yeah, he I, definitely has a very impressive burst and acceleration once he yeah the open field i thought i thought hubbard had probably his best game as a pro i would say i mean maybe there's another game i'm not thinking of but you know mike k our good friend from charlotte observer you've had him on the show he had done some metrics about you know how many snaps were against a a loaded box so to speak and foreman was getting the majority of those and still they slugged it away for 21 carries 74 yards and i mean again it's 3.5 but there's there's value in that as we said, and again, I I think you know DJ Moore. There's concerns there. He was healthy today in practice, full participant as they get ready for uh, you know their big game against Pittsburgh. Uh, he didn't have any catches in this game, but but at, at the same time they they got him the ball in space on a couple of runs, which was a good way to get him involved. And and the catch of the year with Terrace Marshall. <laughs> the, the, I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah, that was a risky throw too. It, it was it was it was a tight window. It was risky, but uh, Terrace, man, he, he snugged that thing. He's the thigh master, whatever you want to call it, the, the brass balls catch. Uh, Marshall, all but two of his catches this year uh, have gone for first downs. So when he gets the ball, he's converting, and it's 18 yards again on that one. Uh, Shy Smith, congrats on his first career touchdown. We've been critical of him when it's warranted. But, you know, Met, when you can hold Metcalf to 71 yards, and when Lockett's, you know, the biggest play in the game, he had two amazing catches, Billy, where he's just, he's a freak. The, the one at the back of the end zone on the back line, and then the other one where I think Shalareth was talking about how he just goes limp. His legs just go limp and he catches it. Those are talented guys, and to hold them to a combined, what, 131 yards on uh, 19 targets. Yeah, job well done by the secondary and by the pass rush, and and still, no, no Xavier Woods, too. I mean, they, they hopefully get him back here soon, and I think that, that'll help them out a little bit. But, yeah, damn, J.C. Horn is really really growing up in a hurry here. Yeah, for sure. Um, so coaching overall, pretty good. Um, you know, we, you and I had this conversation about Wilkes and his long-term you know, future a couple of weeks ago before you know, the bye, or after, the, just before the bye week. Um, you know, there's now some reporting that suggests that, you know, Carolina could be potentially going in a different direction. You know, my stance is this, John, and I don't know if you're going to follow it. I'm just going to, you know, take 
the rest of the season uh, for what it is and that's you know focusing on each opponent you know breaking it down from you know one game at a time uh but you know fans are free to fan and they can you know they they can disagree and you know have an opinion themselves if some fans want to you know follow the draft and also look for this team to win that's sure, their yeah. prerogative you and i were both um you know this is our forum and our medium to express our thoughts and you know i i think wilkes has obviously done a really good job now is it good enough to get the owner's attention i mean maybe maybe not i don't know i, I really don't we we've discussed the history of interim head coaches but for me i i, I just want to We'll deal with that stuff when it. Well, I'll, excuse me. I will deal with that stuff and the thought of that when it is appropriate, and that's at the end of the year. Uh, for now, I think that you have to just, at least from my standpoint, I'm just going to enjoy and look forward to breaking down each game um, and seeing where this goes because you mm. know no one thought that they would be in a uh, playoff race as it is. You know, Atlanta has a new quarterback. They're also in the heat of it. And yeah, if the Saints went out, which is certainly possible, they're also in it. So no one's out of this. And I just think that for me, uh, you know, national reporters and people who cover the league, they are more than welcome to voice their opinion uh, and provide updates on where Carolina goes from a head coaching position. But I don't know if it's going to be worth my time until the end of the year, which is when. Um, we will really be getting into high gear about that kind of position. Yeah, I mean, look, if, if it's one thing to talk in terms of what reporting says, and I'm sure it's very, you know, well-vetted reporting, and, you know, what, what you're talking about, I think Graziano and others today have talked about, you know, interim head coach Steve Wilkes, you know, he might not necessarily be front of the line here. And look, here's the thing. You know, I, I like Steve, and, you know, from what I've seen so far, yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about let's not break, you know, something that's not broken or let's not try to fix, but th- they've got to finish this thing. I mean, th- this is a weekly eval, as, as I've always said, and you've got a Pittsburgh team coming in that many assume can be run on, and I would just point to recent games and, and, and say, hey, look, that defense has improved a little bit in that department, so let's not assume you're running into – you know, in the just, Baltimore run game, their quarterback, whether it's Huntley or Anthony Brown, they provide an extra body in the run game. So it's not, yeah. it's not as simple as no, no. It, yeah. This is it's a very, it's a very, I don't want to say elementary, but they have they have simplified things, uh, and that's okay to do that because it helps to keep this very disconnected group efficient and together. But as I said a while back, look, whatever happens with Steve Wilkes. You know he is uh, he he's helped kind of reinstall what the Panthers are all about, which is you know getting the ball away from the, the other team, you know playing a certain brand of football that's consistent. Even if you don't win every game, at least you're you have an identity now, and uh, teams know who you are, and and maybe Sam is able to to step up and make some some big throws when asked upon. He's going to have to. I mean, you, you, it's the, the law of numbers here. You're not – the only thing I can go back to and look at, every season has its own personality. But one thing I kept saying a few weeks ago is when this division was still within modest reach, it's like, look, I've seen this before in 2014 where nobody in the division really has that second gear, and they're going to beat up on each other late in the year, which is something we're going to see after Christmas. 
And, you know, all of a sudden, it's a Steelers team that has a lot of questions at quarterback. It could be Mason Rudolph coming up. But, you know, defensively, they got playmakers in the front seven. And, it, you know, you just, just be aware that it's been a good story so far, 3-1, and one, and they beat Tom Brady before then. They beat, you know, the pulp out of the, the Falcons on a Thursday night. Uh, they go up to Seattle, they get a convincing win. They, they, they convincingly beat the team they should have in Denver. Um, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But, um, you know, I, I'm not ready to crown anybody or discredit anybody from getting this job until I see the full product. I think Steve Wilkes would be the first to say that. Honestly, I, you know, he deserves an opportunity to be head coach in this league. But you can't control what an owner wants. And if an owner wants something else, if he sees a different trajectory, yes, yeah, so be it. But we got games to play. And, you know, it starts with Pittsburgh. And all of a sudden on Christmas Eve, you you got a matchup. If Carolina wins, it didn't look too enticing. You got a couple teams that are some of the hottest teams in the NFC in terms of doing their own brand of yeah, football. Flex the right it way. to Sunday night football. Flex <laughs> to Sunday night. Hey, you know, stranger things have happened. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the game on Sunday, and that's that's more than I can say about the last two December's. Yeah, for sure. Again, Albert Breer, he he also reported it, and I know you kind of commented on it um, earlier on Twitter. Uh, I didn't see what Graziano said, but. Ben Albright, our good friend, he kind of also uh, mentioned last week that it's going to be an uphill climb for Wilkes. This, again, this was before the game in Seattle. So, yeah. look, anything can happen. I'm going to just focus on what you know I see out there on a weekly basis. And then uh, when the time is right and the season is officially over, whether it's now or in February, then we'll get into yeah. you know, a full breakdown hey. of – who had which had come? Yeah, do something special. That's I mean, it's right there in front of you. You you control it. I mean, if you're Steve Wilkes, this you have put yourself in a position with this team, and the team obviously wants him to be there. And you see this every year where an interim head coach. And we talked about that list of interim coaches before, but but not too many of these guys, with, with the exception of Rich Basaccia, have been able to come in. He didn't even get to keep his job. Um, have come in and, and run yeah, exactly. the, the proverbial <laughs> table and and finish the season with a playoff run. So it's one game at a time, but if he happens to do that, hey, it's all on the table, I'm sure. I, it, Tepper would be stupid not to consider it. I'm sure he's considering a lot more now than he was when he sort of haphazardly, I think, in his presser said, well, he's going to have to do an incredible job. Well, we'll see how incredible of a job he's got. Four games left. Take them one at a time, keep stacking them up, and let's see where they finish out. Because I mean, that's it's right there in front of him. He can he can do something pretty damn special here. And uh, there'll be some people who say, "Ha, ah, the NFC South sucks." Okay, fair enough. It's right there in front of them though, and they can punch a ticket. But it starts with Pittsburgh, and that's sorry, the Mike Tomlin team. I'm not taking them lightly. Never. Yeah, and it's, you know, to your point about the Raiders. A lot of those players, uh, you know, for that franchise, they felt very strongly about Basaccia, Derek Carr, Max Crosby. Yes. Um, you know, they really wanted to keep him, but you know, the owner had his own intentions, and they moved in a different direction. They're, they're so, not going to listen to the fans, uh, Billy. Owners aren't going to ever yeah, listen no, to the fans. They're, no, they're and, want and they, they want. It's it's their they you know fans are fans, and you know we have opinions ourselves. And the owner, unfortunately, this isn't a fan owned club. It's owned by you know one person he mm-hmm. bought the entire franchise and he can do whatever he wants as far as i'm concerned but yeah. uh you know let's you know fo- at least from my focus 
uh, will be on the Pittsburgh Steelers, Detroit Lions, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and New Orleans Saints. And if you win all four of those, you're in the playoffs. Um, but again, it's it's going to take a total team effort this upcoming week against Pittsburgh. I do not feel threatened at all by Mitch Trubisky. Uh, if Kenny Pickett plays, I think that will be very interesting because I think he's better than Trubisky. He doesn't turn the ball over as much as Mitch, Mitch does. Um, and he's also turned a corner since the bye week. He's played really efficient, uh, an efficient level of football. Um, you know, for me, I think that offensively, this is an opponent that Carolina matches up pretty well with. Uh, I think that, you know, this is going to be a low scoring game. I think that Carolina potentially does win this game. Uh, two, that 20 to 17 is my current prediction. Um, I just think that, you know, I don't know where Mitch or excuse me, Kenny Pickett stands as far as he's in the concussion protocol, but I did see him practice today. Uh, but the offensive line for Pittsburgh, not very good. The offensive just scheme is very bland and boring. It's not a very creative um, offense at all. I, I know their pass catchers are very uh, talented, whether it's Deontay Johnson, uh, George Pickens, but I think yeah. J.C. Horn... Uh, matches up well with Pickens because he, you know he's just as you know, big as he is, and I think that it's a pretty good matchup. So a lot of those jump ball highlights that you see from Pickens, um, you know, he's going up against guys that he's smaller than, and he's six foot four, so he's bigger than most corners. But I just think that uh, it, it's a good opportunity for JC. Um, and you know, on the other side of the ball, I think that again they gave up two hundred last week to Baltimore, but I think that's a different running attack, which with an element of a quarterback, so you have to defend an extra gap in the run game. Uh, but I still believe that they can run the ball against this unit. Uh, now, you know, it's going to be interesting. They have some really talented players, uh, whether it's Miles Jack or Minka Fitzpatrick, you know, on the back end and obviously Hayward and, you know, the former U Charlotte University player, Alex Highsmith and yeah. TJ Watt. Highsmith, in my opinion, has been their best pass rusher. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Um, you know, Watt has kind of struggled a little bit from injury with injury. So uh if you I can't believe I'm saying this, but I think that you should probably send additional uh players towards Highsmith at this point if you know <laughs> at this point of kind of where we are. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's. I think it's a game that sets up well for Carolina, um, and I will predict that they win. So, did you have any final thoughts on this game? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm with you. I think this is a win at home, and I I think there's a larger narrative to this that that Steve Wilkes, if you if you follow the beat enough, and and I, I've talked to a few people around that operation that that have been really impressed by the fact that Wilkes will sort of give his team reminders through visuals, through videos uh, of some of the historical highs and lows and reminders of where this team has been during the good days and, and some things that challenged them. And and the Seattle game was no different. You know, I, my understanding is, you know, going back to the Tampa game where they won against Tom Brady in convincing fashion several weeks ago, Wilkes had a reel of some of the great Tampa-Carolina rivalry games. I mean, that's right up my alley at one Panther place. I couldn't have been prouder of the guy. That's that's how you get the message across to guys that aren't totally in tune with that. You, you educate them. It's it's not about you know whatever brand you're trying to push. It's about 
what, what this organizational pride has been. And I think in this case, you look back at Seattle, they had not won a game in that arena since 2015. If I'm not mistaken, that's the only time they'd ever won a game in Seattle. And they came right back and, and obviously go into that same environment. Teams not quite as uh, well-built as they were back in the middle of the last decade, but still a very good team, and they get a, a pretty convincing win. And then let's not forget, if you're listening to this on the 14th, which is going to be the release date, um, fair enough. But if you're listening to this on the 15th, which most of you will, uh, one week from today will mark the 26th anniversary of Carolina's last win against the Steelers, Billy. <laughs> they have not beaten the Steelers since 1996 in any arena. That was the Chad Cota game that sealed the division for Dom Capers' squad in year two. So they're overdue for a win against this franchise. I know Steve wants to you know, protect the bank. I love that message. But there's going to be a lot of Steeler fans there. You just got to like, you know, I was at that Broncos game. It was probably 60% orange. So what? Play the game, usher them out respectfully, and move on to the next one. It's going to be a fun stretch here for Carolina down the stretch. And I just hope they get this win. It doesn't eliminate anything, but you want to end in style. You want to end with a winning record. So just stack them up one at a time, man, and uh, and keep running that rock. Limit Sam's throws. I mean, give him 2022. That's the pitch count. That's the sweet spot. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, thank you again, everyone, for joining. Uh, make sure to follow John on Twitter at One Panther Place. You can follow me on Twitter at BillyM underscore 91. Um, that's going to be it for tonight. Uh, we will have a recap show for you guys on uh, next week. We don't know which day yet. Um, probably don't anticipate a uh, instant reaction like we did last week because um, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'll have time uh, late afternoon just we'll see. that evening I was free, so I decided to <laughs> pop one on. So uh, thank you, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.